The White House is leaderless, the House is speakerless, our nation is borderless, and the world is at war. But hey, at least our academic, government, and military priorities are pronouns and diversity, right? The show starts now. Radical Islamic terrorism. Three words former President Barack Obama wouldn't even say. Well, as if we didn't have enough chaos, violence, and upheaval in the world, now radical Islamic terrorism has also made its return, this time in Israel, after the terror organization some American liberals recognize as a credible government entity, Hamas, led a surprise and brutal attack almost to the exact day of the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War. Hamas, backed by Iran, led a coordinated land, sea, and air attack, killing women, children, and families indiscriminately, taking hostages and then proudly celebrating the savagery. Some of the viral images circulating on social media over the weekend appear to show members of Hamas holding and waving American guns. I wonder where they procured those weapons. Afghanistan, Ukraine, Saudi Arabia, all legitimate assumptions given the U.S. government has quite the knack for funding and arming the enemy, both indirectly by way of incompetent mismanagement and directly through policy. But speaking of the United States government and this administration, I'm sure you won't be surprised to learn that after the horrific attack on Israel by Hamas's Muslim terrorists, the U.S. Office of Palestinian Affairs tweeted and then deleted this, calling on Israel to refrain from retaliatory action. You know, when people tell you who they are and what side they're on, just believe them. Save yourself the trouble of extending a naive benefit of the doubt. Oh, and maybe giving the world's number one state sponsor of terror $6 billion wasn't the best idea, Joe. Also important to note that while the world was still learning about the utter atrocities in Israel, your president could be heard hosting a barbecue in the Rose Garden. No, I'm not kidding. And leave it to American pro-socialist, pro-Palestine, pro-terror morons to respond to all of this by planning marches in support of the terrorists. Typical, just typical. You know, the spin campaign is already beginning. Over the weekend, Kylie Jenner posted in support of Israel to over 400 million followers, but then after backlash, well, she deleted it. 2023, y'all, men can be women, women can be men, but God forbid you be anti-terrorism. Those savage degenerates aside, most of our leaders and the vast majority of the American people and really the world have stood by Israel, at least for now. But expect that to change as soon as Israel strikes back. Expect to see all the blissfully ignorant, radical, pro-Muslim apologist groups condemn Israel and reiterate the misguided notion that somehow this is all Israel's fault. Joining me now with his expert analysis is national security specialist and author of Consequences and Intelligence Officers War, David Grantham. David, I haven't seen you in a very long time, but it's great to have you back. Well, thanks for having me. So, David, way back in the spring of 2022, you made a wild claim that Israel held the answer to whether Russia's invasion of Ukraine would lead to World War III. Is this going down as you had warned? So far, it looks like that. And first of all, my uh, deepest sympathies go out to the families of the victims in Israel and to those innocent Palestinians who will lose their lives or who have lost their lives already because of what Hamas and Iran have done here. But yes, it seems like what I had predicted back in March of 2022 was simply that uh, Russia held the key in some ways to the balance of peace in the Middle East. 
both those countries, Israel and Iran, were going to need to uh, leverage that relationship when they when Russia decided to invade the Ukraine. Israel has a different situation where they also are allies with the United States. So at first, Israel was reluctant to do anything material against Russia like other countries, um, although they did condone uh, the invasion. But as Russia's war began to stall and then ultimately has has failed, at least by their strategy and their and their estimates, Iran came through and began helping with drones. And that, to me, was the point in time at which Iran decided they were going to be the benefactor to Russia. And when that happened, I believed that Iran would work their way into a situation where they built up political capital and then had the leverage where Russia would essentially allow them to attack Israel. And I think this is this has come to fruition. It's terrifying how our enemies are really coming together in this moment. That's all a product of weak leadership all the way around. But, you know, speaking of that and your prediction, there's been a lot of discussion, a lot of back and forth in the U.S. on the left and the right over that $6 billion that Joe Biden gave to Iran uh, on September 11th, no less. The left saying that that in no way contributed to what happened over the weekend. The right saying, well, obviously, when you give $6 billion, you unfreeze $6 billion to the world's foremost state sponsor of terror. That's going to contribute in your expert opinion, do you think that move by the United States and their goodwill towards Iran for whatever reason contributed to what happened or will contribute to ongoing conflict and issues between Israel, Hamas, slash Iran? Well, I wish I had a crystal ball to tell you exactly how I think it's going to play out. I don't know that, uh, obviously, I think it was an uh, uh, ill-conceived idea regardless of what Iran did or did not do in the last few days. Uh, but in the immediate term, Iran had this planned. I think the U.S. played a, uh, a smaller role in whether Iran decided to do this because Iran had the leverage, had the political capital, and had the, the if you will, the permission. I, I, I use that very loosely, but permission from Russia uh, to do that, to carry out an attack. Now, going forward, absolutely. Any any finance that's going to that's available to Iran, they will use. And uh, it's hard to believe this money will not be uh, used in their war going forward. And that's the concern, you know, of, of so many Americans, so many folks in Israel. Anytime that you are friendly to a sponsor of terror, then you risk this kind of thing happening. But it also goes back to just the weak leadership. I mean, this president has a horrible track record. You've got the Russian invasion of Ukraine. You've got China eyeing up Taiwan and also really China eyeing up the United States. Now you have, again, this continuing conflict between Hamas and Israel. It feels like the world is edging closer to a World War III. That's something that we've talked about for the last couple of years in theory, almost like an apocalyptic prediction. But in your analysis, do you think that we are edging closer to this where the United States becomes involved, where the world really is at war? Unfortunately, yes. I, I, I When I look at the global landscape and there's always moments where we can pull back from the brink, but uh, now I'm a trained historian and historians 
tend to shy away from drawing parallels between different historical events. But World War One, uh, in some ways, has some similarities. And the the when World War One, a lot of relationships and treaties were triggered because one friend got attacked by another, and it and it escalated quickly. Here I, we see something similar where there's a lot of relationships, more marriages of convenience, not so much treaties, but there are relationships that are being triggered. Iran relationship with Russia. Russia decided their relationship with Iran was more important than their relationship with Israel. And now those relationships are connected to Asia. I would be very uh, concerned right now. China may see an opportunity. Uh, to to carry out their attacks against Taiwan, whereas before it wasn't as appealing, partly because in world wars, when you when adversaries open up more than one front, it provides it provides an opportunity to spread resources of Western uh, forces throughout different regions, which makes them less effective. I think Putin has already uh, discussed how the impact of an additional war in the Middle East pulls resources out of Ukraine that have been pouring in and now will be poured into the Middle East. So two fronts uh, is always a problem when you're supplying resources. And if China decides this is their opportunity to make their move, uh, knowing that Iran and Russia won't stop them, uh, then we're, we're in for a world war. How concerned are you, David, about this hitting the homeland, the homeland meaning the United States of America? A lot of discussion, uh, rightfully so, about our wide open southern border. We know that there have been hundreds of individuals on the terror watch list that have crossed our border, have been apprehended, probably hundreds more that have not. How concerned are you that we're going to see an attack on our homeland because there's been a lot of discussion about terror cells in the United States because of that open border? Do you think that that's something that we should be very concerned about, realistically concerned about happening in the next 12 to 14 months? I always reserve the right to say, yes, this could get very bad. I think when I look at the landscape of who's involved, um, China needs the United States. Uh, their economy needs our consumption. So they're going to be less hesitant to uh, unless they saw an advantage that was was just too good to let go. Uh, meanwhile, Russia, I don't know that they have the capability, but they may step up cyber attacks. I think the most likely scenario for attacks on the homeland would be a combination of small scale terror attacks that Iran has been planning for a long time. The use of adversaries in Latin America like Venezuela to uh, continue to send migrants, flood the border, uh, use people uh, for their national security agenda, um, and cyber attacks. So I think there's a humanitarian, the abuse of humanitarian need, uh, small-scale terror attacks and cyber attacks. It's good. It's not, I don't envision ships landing on our shore because at this day and age, they don't necessarily have to, to be effective. The goal will be, you have to distract the United States on internal issues, and while we're distracted having to address internal issues, however big or small they are, the uh, the greater attacks can continue across the world.
Well, right now, the United States, obviously, the Republican Party, uh, also in disarray. Uh, we don't have a Speaker of the House. You know, there's been discussions of whether Kevin McCarthy might return because of all of the chaos. But how, how bad is the, the optics, the perception of the United States of America when you've got, you know, the leader of the free world being Joe Biden and you've got a Republican-controlled Congress that doesn't even have a Speaker what does this look like to the rest of the world? Does this leave us optically vulnerable and make us look like we don't have our house in order, so to speak? I would believe so. I, I, I'm sure it pre presents a perception that the United States is um, not focused where it needs to be. But I, I think the the greater struggle is the confidence in institutions across the world. Those long institutions that have been in place I say long term, since World War II, uh, these institutions have represented a global order. Those institutions are showing themselves to be uh, incapable of managing this new emerging world order. You hear China talking a lot about uh, the attempt to build a new world order, to reframe uh, the global community under different terms. So I, while I think it's it's symptomatic, this this uh, changeover in leadership, it's not at all new, uh, but it certainly is symptomatic of what I believe are larger issues, and that's the confidence in institutions that have led to stability overall since World War II. Well, and then you just add into that, you know, we have an election that's coming up. We've got, we might very well see a rematch between Joe Biden and and Donald Trump, um, that's going to impact a lot of things, the way that the world sees us. And then let's not forget that we've allowed millions of unvetted, undocumented, uh, a majority being males of military age into our country. That just doesn't seem like the best idea uh, politically, strategically, um, security-wise. It, it just feels like we're opening up Pandora's box and all by our own making. David, if you were to predict... And I know that I'm asking you to, to speculate, but in the next weeks, in the, in the coming months, do you expect to see U.S. military involvement once again in the Middle East on a larger scale because of what we saw this weekend? Maybe not in the next few weeks, but I think in the next three to six months, we're going to be actively involved in some conflict um, somewhere because I, I don't see how. Israel does not respond to Iran by attacking the, the country itself and or attacking installations in Iran. Uh, I don't know that for sure, but the scale of attack that's happened, um, I'm hard pressed to believe that Israel doesn't go further, doesn't go beyond Hamas. And if they do, uh, I believe the United States uh, military will be involved, uh, maybe not in Iran, but they'll just naturally become involved because now it's country to country warfare other relationships will be triggered um, and other countries will begin getting involved so it's realistic to speculate that as we sit here in october of 2023 we could be at the kickoff or the precursor to yet another endless war in the middle east perhaps it could be bigger than that unfortunately
Well, uh, David, I appreciate you giving us so much optimism and so much to look forward to, but I always appreciate your analysis. You know, the cold, hard truth stings sometimes, but we need to be ready. We need to be prepared for it. Thank you for taking the time, and I hope to have you back soon. Thanks for having me. Folks, as we edge closer to what feels like an inevitable and expensive World War III, I fear we as a society are more ill-prepared than ever to meet this moment. And not just because the leader of the free world is incoherent and incompetent, Joe Biden, but also in large part due to the rapid decay of our young people. Because many Gen Zers can't even figure out what gender they want to be day to day or what bathroom to use, let alone be expected to be drafted to fight an actual war. And something tells me the drag queen recruitment efforts, well, they aren't helping. This is a cultural cancer, it really is, and the outrage, well, that's also selective, too. Get a load of this one. Last week, a women's tech conference that was recently extended to include non-binaries was overrun by men, and the women and the they-thems, well, they cried foul. Watch. Why would a man be there? Why would a man be there? No, it's actually pissing me off. Oh, my God, it pisses me off. Why would a man be there? Why do you want to be there? Like, you're literally in my Space. He's like, oh my God, I'm literally going to freak out. I'm not kidding. So something tells me if these men would have shown up in drag or with pink or green hair, they would have been deemed acceptable to attend. Liberalism is a mental disorder, but this isn't a problem exclusive to America. And we may be to blame for exporting it worldwide. But let me ask my next guest, host of Piers Morgan Uncensored, Piers Morgan. Piers, it's great to see you. Thank you for taking the time. My pleasure, Tommy. So I want to start with that. You know, you and I on your show, Piers Morgan Uncensored, we talk about this all the time. So I know that this is a problem in the UK. I know that this is a global problem. But what do you make of this? Now some women who I would assume are actually pretty progressive in their politics are mad that men who label themselves non-binary came to their conference. It's very selective to me what they get upset with. Well, it's completely ridiculous and, of course, rankly hypocritical, uh, but it's an absolute symptom and cause, isn't it? If you allow limitless self-identity and you promote this as being healthy for society, uh, then you're going to end up with situations like this where men will take the situation into their own hands and all declare themselves non-binary and rock up at women's conferences. It's yet another infringement of women's rights. Uh, you and I have been talking about this for several years now whether it's in prisons, whether it's in the sports field, uh, wherever it may be, women's rights are being eroded at the altar of political correctness and virtue signaling. <clears throat> and I applaud these uh, guys for turning up here. But I have to ask the women, uh, what were you thinking uh, being insulted by them? Isn't this what you wanted? And they also extended this conference that has traditionally been for women. Now they wanted to include the non-binary. So in my eyes, they did this to themselves. You can't decide who is non-binary and who's not if it's all about self-identification. That's the whole point and premise of this liberalism disease is that you could be whatever you want to be. So it's amazing to me that they're crying foul. But, you know, peers in the open... A lot of stuff going on in the world today. I know that the UK is as is is touched and impacted as this, as the United States are. But I'm wondering, if we were to have a draft, if we were to have a World War III that feels like it's inevitable at this point, do you think the world's young people are going to be ready to take up arms and defend freedom? Because I certainly don't feel like in the United States we're prepared and ready to take on that task. Well, the, the truth is some of them will be, but the vast majority, I think, of this new young generation, uh, I think are victims of a society 
which has moved to be massively overprotective. If you cover kids in cotton wool from the day they're born and you continue doing that through their teenage years into adult life, what preparation are you giving them for the, the real hard knocks of real life? You know, I chart this back, Tommy, to when participation prizes suddenly sprouted up in schools for sports day where little Tommy, or I'm, uh, I won't call it little Tommy, let's call him little Johnny. Uh, little Johnny comes last uh, because he ha- may have his feelings upset at coming last in a relay race or something. They give him a prize and it's called a participation prize. Well, you and I know in the real world, nobody gives you participation prizes. If you come last, you get fired from your job if you keep doing it. Uh, that's the reality of the real world. And what we have done by putting these kids in cotton wool for so long is make them woefully ill-prepared for just basic stuff in normal life, never mind potentially being drafted or going to war. So no, in answer to your question, I would be seriously concerned in that eventuality that many young people would simply not be equipped. Either, well, they would be physically because they're all you know, vegan health freaks, but they wouldn't be able to cope with it mentally or emotionally because we have not prepared them as a society to toughen up and deal with this kind of thing. I would also argue that they would physically not be prepared. I I don't think that vegan lifestyle lends itself to strength. (laughs) And I don't think it lends itself to any kind of stability. But, you know, that's a discussion for another day. But, you know, as Mm. we're talking about this and what's happening, you know, I I have to talk about over the weekend, obviously, the the atrocities in Israel. In the United States, in New York City, in Times Square, we had pro-Palestinian groups taking to the streets in favor of what happened or celebrating, in some cases, what happened over the weekend. And that's not unique to the United States, really all over the world. In London, same scene. Let's take a look at what happened in London over the weekend. What do you make of that? Do you think this is going to be something that we're going to see for the the coming days and weeks, especially as Israel retaliates? I think we're going to see a whole lot of anti-Semitism, a whole lot of anti-Israel sentiment. I think this is just the kickoff. Sadly, that's exactly what's going to happen. We all know that's what's going to happen because that's what's historically happened in these situations. I think anyone who looks at what happened in Israel in the last 48 hours who doesn't think this is utter barbarism by a bunch of terrorists committing lawless and indiscriminate mass murder on completely innocent people. If they don't look at that in utter horror, there's something wrong with them. Just their minds are warped. And the idea you would then actually, far from condemning it, go out and take part in gleeful celebrations, as if somehow this is a major step forward in whatever cause you think this promotes. You're living in cloud cuckoo land. And I think that there's got to be a reality check about what happened here. 260 young people were at a, a music festival when a bunch of terrorists paraglide in clutching machine guns and just discriminately, indiscriminately murder them in cold blood. And then they start snatching babies and women and grandmothers and taking them away. And God knows what they've been doing with them. This is terrorism of its worst kind. This lot make ISIS look like choir children. And the idea that anyone anywhere would celebrate that is disgusting. Uh, But there is a wider picture in in this whole conflict. And that is that we now know, sadly, that there will be inevitably 
uh, massive retribution from Israel into Gaza. And I don't care how many Hamas terrorists that they kill in that process, and they're perfectly entitled to defend themselves. But a lot of innocent people, innocent Palestinians in the Gaza Strip are going to die too. They always do. So once again, on both sides, you're going to have a lot of innocent people get killed. Uh, but this was started by terrorists, terrorists going over a border and murdering innocent people. And if you can't get that in your head, there is something wrong with you. I agree. And speaking of terrorism and terror cells, I'm sure in the UK, you guys are just as concerned as we are here in the United States that this is going to be something that's going to spread far and wide. I know that you know that we have a wide open southern border, millions let in in the last couple of years alone. I think that we would be naive to think that some of those people are not here to do us harm. What concern do you have for your own country and possible terror cells cropping up due to lax immigration policy and just the overall unpreparedness of both of our countries? Yeah, I think it's a good point. I think we've got complacent since ISIS uh, were basically neutralized. But there was a time not so long ago when ISIS terrorists were crossing borders around the world with impunity and committing acts of unbelievably horrific terrorism, be it in France or the UK or wherever it may be. Uh, I think we've got to stop being complacent. Weak, insecure borders are a breeding ground for terrorists. We all know this, uh, and we have a weak border in this country. It's becoming a huge problem with many more people wanting to come here, most of them trying to get here illegally, uh, and we don't know who they are. You have the same problem on the southern border in America. It's getting worse and worse and worse. Joe Biden doesn't seem to care. He's never down there showing that he cares. Uh, and what message has uh, President Biden sent to the world anyway about what he views of the security issues at stake here? This is the man who uh, enacted that catastrophic withdrawal of the American troops in Afghanistan, which caused mayhem and has emboldened the Taliban to go right back to the medieval walls they were before that this uh, all started. And you think, well, what message does that send? It told Vladimir Putin that America wasn't up for a fight to invade Ukraine. It's probably emboldened Iran to support Hamas in this appalling atrocity here. It will certainly embolden others to think, well, if America isn't up for the fight, we're going to have a piece of this action too through terrorism. And we are always shoulder to shoulder with America and Britain. So we have the same issue here and the, and the same problem, a lack of strong leadership. And you've got to be strong. When you are the leader of the free world like America, that brings with it huge responsibility and burden, both financially and militarily. But when America is at its best, it's at its strongest. When America is strong, the world feels more secure. And right now, I don't think that's the case. And that is a problem. Piers, in both of our countries, do you think that the term refugee or asylum seeker is overused? Well, I think the problem is it's very hard to tell. I mean, we had a problem, for example, in the UK with these small boats coming in uh, across the channel, mainly from France. And it turned out that a third of the people on it were not refugees or asylum seekers, but they were actually economic young male economic migrants from Albania, which is not a war-torn country. So they were gaming the system. And we've now done a special deal with Albania to stop that happening. But you know, if you talk to people on the left, uh, they will tell you with, with absolute certainty in their eyes that all of the people coming into the UK on these boats are genuine refugees and asylum seekers. They're obviously not. Now, there are some who are, and they need to be uh, picked out from the, 
the, the, the many people coming in and treated properly and afforded asylum and refugee status where it's appropriate. But when a third of the people, we're talking tens of thousands, when a third of the people turned out to be perfectly healthy, not in danger, economic migrants from Albania just wanting a better life here, that is not refugee or asylum seeker status. That is economic migrant status. That's a different thing. Then they should apply through the normal legal channels. And I think you would say the same about the United States, right? No one's got any problem with legal migration. Everybody believes that legal migration can enrich a country. America was founded on this. America is a nation of, of immigrants, but the right way. And how do people who go through the system the right way, how do they feel when people cheat the system, when they just crash in illegally? And, and how does the average American feel, as we do in Britain, for example, about the security implications of a porous open border where it looks like almost anybody who wants to try hard enough can come in and we don't know who they are. It's a massive security problem. Doesn't even look like they have to try very hard. And, you know, Piers, we see right. the drone footage from Fox News day in and day out. Thousands of military aged males coming through our southern border. Then they are flown or bussed into New York City or Chicago or Boston. And to think this isn't going to end poorly in some way, shape, or form is a naive thought. I know you got to run and get to your show. Thank you so much for taking the time. I always appreciate it. And I'll see you soon. Great to see you, Tommy. Take care. Thanks, Piers. All right, what's happening in Israel may seem like it's a world away, like it could never happen here, but be warned. We've let millions of unvetted and undocumented foreign nationals enter our country through our wide open southern border, and you're naive if you think they're all here for the American dream. It's time for Final Thoughts. What happened in Israel over the weekend is nothing short of an evil atrocity and while the Hamas attack was a surprise and caught Israel off guard, the constant fear of something like that happening has become a way of life for Israel, our only Western ally in the Middle East, surrounded by Muslim countries with extremist ideology born and bred into the culture. Israel has learned time and time again that it's rather impossible to coexist with people who don't believe you have a right to exist. But you don't need to be a foreign policy expert to see the writing on the wall for another vulnerable country. Not Ukraine, not Taiwan, but none other than the United States of America. Wake up call, we've let millions of military-aged males cross our southern border in just a couple of years. Do you really think all those people are just here to find jobs? Don't fool yourself. What are the chances even a small percentage of the refugees we've taken in by the millions want to kill us? Border Patrol has already flagged and apprehended over 200 border crossers on the terror watch list. Imagine how many others have slipped through the cracks. Imagine how many others traveling alongside those on the terror watch list were allowed into this country, likely flown into a city or town near you. How does that make you feel? Safe? Don't lie to yourself. An open border is a dangerous gamble, but it's a game our leaders on the left and the right are all too comfortable playing. And even if it isn't radical Islamic terrorism being illegally imported across that border, there are plenty of other concerns and national security risks that come along with the acceptable and allowed invasion by millions into our country. Fentanyl being just one of those deadly concerns. As the situation in Gaza and Israel intensifies in the coming days and weeks and months, there will be a lot of U.S. focus on that region, 
perhaps even the kickoff or a precursor to yet another endless war with U.S. involvement. And all the while, thousands will continue to cross our own border and thousands will continue to be flown, bust, and placed into our schools and communities. And still, most of America will turn a blind eye. How can we possibly help Israel, help Ukraine, help and bail out the world if we can't even protect our homeland? The writing is on the wall and some of our fellow Americans are simply pretending they can't read. Those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.